0: Jesus just said, Sean, you don't have any quarter for hatred.
1: You don't, you don't have a justification for hatred. You know, these people are, are just as, you know, we were all blind ones, weren't we? We were completely blind to sin, and these people are completely blind. Uh, we can hate the actions, we can hate the things they do, we can hate sin, can't we? But we can't hate humanity. We can't hate. A person who's created in the image of God and as I said we're all blind ones ourselves and so I began to pray for them and uh, I started to, to pray for the persecutors but the Spirit of God would not allow that hatred to remain in my heart but it was a struggle it was a struggle there was a submitting to God's Spirit and it's going to be a ongoing struggle as we, we, we travel back. That same danger is going to be there. Um, you know, it may even claim that the lives of some of my friends at some stage, I'm not, I'm not too sure. But we cannot allow that hatred to take root in our hearts, to grow. The Holy Spirit just won't allow it. Will it? Jesus won't allow it because Jesus lives in us. I was... Uh, Reading through Luke and in Luke 10, um, there's an expert in the law. And Jesus is te- uh, there was an expert in the law there. Jesus is, is standing there. He was teaching about loving your neighbor. Loving your neighbor. And the expert in the law said he, he sought to justify himself. And the reason he was seeking to justify himself is because he knew in his heart that he hated the Samaritans. And he, he, uh, he said, Well, tell me, Jesus, who is my brother? Because in his mind, or who is my neighbour? In his mind, it was his friends. It was the people that he loved. People that did good to me. Well, I'm going to do good to them. But everyone else, they could go jump. And take this thing in his heart. And Jesus gave him the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. And how an enemy came along to aid. Uh, somebody, who, you know, culturally they were supposed to resent. And looked after him. And he said, now, go and do the same. And, you know, within our hearts, we, we can become very biased. We can very easily fall into that trap. We can become blind, John, John tells us. And Jesus tells us that the blind lead the blind, when do they fall? Into a ditch. And I could feel myself sliding off the edge of that chasm and falling into that ditch. But uh, Jesus grabbed me and he, he pulled me out of that. So John here... Um, John here continues because after after these scriptures, he's going to be talking about uh, some pretty serious stuff, some some things which are going to come. And uh, what he says here from uh, verse four onwards is very reminiscent of the whole armour of God scripture from Ephesians, to be immersed in His Word by the shodding of our feet in the preparation of the gospel, um, wielding the sword of the Spirit, to know the truth from the false. To live righteously according to our faith, to know who we are in Jesus Christ, wearing the helmet of salvation. But he also, through it, he brings some perspective. And perspective is incredibly important, uh, especially in the Christian life. Because it's about the angle in which we view life, isn't it? Perspective. When you when you move from a different angle, it changes the whole view. And it can dramatically change. The way we look at something in any given situation. But it especially impacts how we live our Christian lives. You know, I I think, you know, in the modern church era we've lost what was very prevalent in the early church, and that was living with the knowledge of the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That his return was imminent, that he was coming back at any time. And uh, we've really grown apathetic in the Western church. Uh, We've grown apathetic because there's just been this lack of danger. Uh, We're free to go to church, we're free to do whatever we like. If you look at the Middle East, now the Bible is the Middle East and Senate book, if you look at the Middle East, it's the greatest Christian uh, persecution in all human history. In all human history, Christianity has now become the number one persecuted religion on earth. One in every 12 Christians is being persecuted and I'm not talking about Facebook memes and I'm not talking about somebody upsetting you at work, I'm talking about abduction, assault in various ways which I won't speak of uh, and murder. One in every 12 Christians on earth is experiencing that right now. And we've got a very faithful group who come in and uh, they pray every single week for open doors. Um, and that's, that's a real blessing. But it's having the heavenly perspective which gives us strength as Christians. It's, having, it's knowing that we're seated in heavenly places. It's, it, it's what help, it, it helps define what is truly important in this life, doesn't it? When we know who we are in Jesus Christ, when we truly, truly know the way we do things, where we spend our time, what we spend our money on, where our efforts lay, it all changes when our perspective changes. We can have an earthly perspective and come to church and just look up to heaven each Sunday, or we can take hold. We can take hold of who we are in Christ—a reality of what the scriptures have given us, and it impacts everything. It changes everything, as I said, how we spend our time and what we do. So perspective is incredibly important. And John in this encouragement is saying, I write to you now and I've written to you previously. So it's present and past tense. And he's covering all generations of the church, young and old. And he uses the analogies of children, young men and fathers. He also uses uh, various stages of faith. So wherever you're at in your faith, newly saved, the maturing or the mature, he says, I want you to know this. And note where he starts. The very first thing he says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And when I got saved, and you know, when we got saved, we may have grown up in Christian homes, I don't know, but. I didn't know much. I didn't know anything, really, when I got saved. I had no idea about everything scripture taught. And I did not fully understand every aspect of God. I didn't understand every facet of who God was. I knew he loved me. But uh, the most important thing I knew was, child, your sins are forgiven and For me, uh, where I was in my life, coming out of the world, coming out of uh, such a rotten place, that was really huge. Just to know that one thing, child of God, your sins are forgiven you. And even today, anything we carry, however we judge ourselves, we need to know that our sins are forgiven. Anything we can bring to the King and it's done. Our sins are forgiven right now in Jesus' name because of his namesake. And there's no measurement of depth to his mercy or power in his blood. Just, there's, there's no depth to it. It can't be measured. And uh, yesterday I was here and Russ uh, came in and um, we were you know talking and Russ was dropping off some paper cups uh, for, for church today. And... Uh, he said, you know, it just, it melts me. It really just melts my heart to know the grace of God. And it should melt all of us to, to, to know that, that, that grace because it, it is truly humbling, isn't it? Isn't it beautiful to know, child, your sins are forgiven. You, you are white as snow for his name's sake this morning. Wherever you wherever you stand from you know wherever you've come from this morning, you are white as snow. Fills my heart with joy. It fills our hearts with joy because we're experiencing undeserved and unmerited grace which gives us peace. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. And knowing it. For me, and I'm sure for many of you, what it does is it stokes this fire of love within me. It draws me to God. It draws me to Jesus. It completely disarms the devil. All the accusations the devil throws at me. All the condemnations the devil throws at me, the accuser of my soul. They're completely dismantled, completely dismantled by Jesus Christ. Through that forgiveness. Because greater is he than he lives in the world, isn't he? Greater is Jesus Christ. Now, isn't that a great starting point and encouragement? That's where John kicks off. Your sins are forgiven you. He says, you fathers, you have known him that is from the beginning. And that's uh, it's speaking to an older generation, or a more uh, or more mature believers. So he's he's talking in phases here, and, and really, I believe he's just speaking to, to everybody in, in this address. And uh, when we think of the elders, you've you've experienced God, and you've known Him through an intimate and lasting fellowship. And uh, it is, it's one of the things I I really admire. You know, when I was working as an aged care chaplain, it was a great privilege. It was such a privilege. I remember working with a man who was 100 years old and uh, uh, his wife passed on and he still came down to church every Wednesday when we had a little church service and he was our worship leader. So, he's a little bit older than Steve and his, his hair was definitely a bit shorter. But he, he was uh, a mighty man of God, an absolute mighty man of God. And that's because um, he'd been through all those ups and downs in life. And he'd been put in a corner so many times. And we've all been in those places, haven't we? Those dark places. And every single time, without fail, God comes along and He shows that He's faithful. Even when we're struggling in unbelief, He still comes back and He shows us that He's faithful. Whatever we're struggling in, He he comes back and He shows us His love and His grace. And uh, our elders, because they've lived with this for so long, through these ups and downs, and they, and they know that he's faithful, there's a tempering that's happened within them. They've known the Father. There's a, there's a tempered faith. And John is commending them because they haven't been moved by circumstance, and at the time there were a lot of false doctrines going around concerning Christ, and they haven't been moved in that either. Again, this has been this fiery forging, this forging of faith over time. They understand fully who their God is. And uh, when I read the Psalms, and when I uh, look at King David and and what he wrote, and and when I look at his life, you can see how knowing who God was upheld him, it sustained him. And uh, if you uh, read, for example, The Morning Psalm, it's called, uh, there's, there's a whole army. There's a whole army out there ready to come down upon his head. And, and what does he do uh, the hours before? His, he, he went and had a sleep. I don't know about many, uh, all of you, but I would, definitely wouldn't be sleeping if there was an army at my front doorstep, you know, ready, ready to destroy me and my men. And he went and had a sleep because he knew who his God was. He knew him. And uh, for all of his failings, uh, David was always, always able to come back to the Lord and, and to bring to remembrance who God was and to know that God was faithful. And that's why he was that man after God's own, own heart. So the elders understood, or the, the mature, John is saying, understand who God is. They understand that he's not just a man, as the world says. He's not an angel, as the Jehovah's Witnesses say. And at the time, the Gnostics were saying that he was a phantom. They knew he wasn't a phantom. He's not part God. Jesus was never part God. He didn't relinquish anything. He is the eternal God who is from the beginning and was in the beginning and was God. He was with God and he was God. uh, John chapter 1 tells us. And uh, was it Hosea or Micah, Jim? Where are you? Is is he he in here? I can't can't remember. I think it's Micah. Micah. 5-2, 5-2, yeah, chapter 5. I told you the verse. <laughs> I knew the verse. He said it was verse 6, but it's no, verse said. 2. So, yeah, I got you. Um, but it says, you know, it talks about there'll be one born in Bethlehem who's from everlasting. He's going, he's, he's going forward and coming back. He's, he's been moving around. He's been doing things from everlasting. And the whole idea of that, of everlasting, when it's translated, is the vanishing point. So if you can imagine as far back as the mind can possibly go, you have the vanishing point and then there's another word used which means beyond that vanishing point. He was in the beginning. And uh, it was very important at this time that um, John was teaching this because there had to be an absolute confidence in who Jesus Christ was. Speaking to our last group, uh, he says, you young men, Excuse me. He says, "You young men." John says, "You are strong uh, to the growing believers." To the, you know, you all remember when you were a fiery Christian. Um, I know when I got saved, uh, and shortly after that, um, you know, growing as a Christian, I was this fiery young man, and we can be fiery young men and women. Uh, And he says, and he says, they are strong. And uh, they're not strong because they can do anything in and of themselves, but because it says that the word of God abides in them. And uh, they were, you know, I remember, and I'm sure you remember being hungry for God's word. And uh, I think John uh, takes the analogy here. He takes the analogy of the youth uh, because thinking back, there was never a, a harder time. I don't think where I could be given, or it was a time of my life where I, I could be given over to temptation. Um, there was a there was a weakness within me as a young person to be to be caught up. There was never a more difficult time in my life um, uh, to resist temptation, and I think that's why he's he, he's, he's giving us the key here, really. He's giving us the key uh, to resist temptation. That's abiding in Christ and abiding in his word. And he also gives us the analogy of, of, uh, of the youth. And I think it's a, it's a great reminder for us uh, because, I mean, I, I got saved when I was 30. I got saved when I was 30. So by the time I started growing in God's word and, and, re- and reaching this phase, it was a few years later. But it was by abiding in his word, being hungry for his word, it kept me focused, it kept me on the path. I knew where I stood, I knew where I should be going. And uh, coming here on a Tuesday, uh, coming here on a Tuesday, uh, is, it's an awesome thing. And I think one of the greatest things, and I just, you know, I basically sit around and I'm useless, I just sit there on my computer and do stuff and lend a hand here and there, and usually Chris buys me lunch. And um, that's pretty much why I turn up, we get free lunch every time we come on a Tuesday, But uh, it's just awesome seeing the youth, the young people, coming in here and uh, just watching them grow. It, just watching them grow in this church really is awesome to see. And there's this servant heart There's a a servant heart within them. They want to serve, but there's a real hunger for God's word. Young Jacob will sit there often and he'll just be sitting there uh, and he's reading through the distinctives or reading a scripture. Or we'll sit down and we'll just talk about scripture. And it's such a blessing to see, um, especially when I think about where I was at, at their age. And I've got this little thing I do because as I get older, I become more and more of a crabby old man. And uh, when I look at the young people and I think, oh, gosh, you know, he's going off the rails, or they're going off the rails, or doing this or doing that, and I start getting judgmental, all I have to do is remember what I was doing when I was 16 or 19 or 20, and uh, God quickly brings me back in the line again. And Chris usually says, sin always looks worse on someone else, doesn't it, Sean? It always looks worse on someone else, but when you get the mirror out and you look at yourself, all of a sudden you go, oh, oops. I forgot about that. I forgot what I'm doing. Because I'm not perfect either. But I tell you what, I I am blessed because my sins are forgiven for his name's sake. But it's great to watch those young people and they're being washed and instructed in the word. And uh, this, uh, there's a, This originally I learnt from a hymn and then I found it in the Psalms as I was growing and reading God's word and it says that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's what guides me, it's what what directs me and um, I'm not going to be directed or guided by this broken and sinful world but you Lord, your precepts Father, what you have said in your word, I know it's good. I know it's going to uh, be a blessing to my life and help me to be a blessing to others as I, as I follow you, Lord, and I follow your word. And uh, there's this idea that we could be caught up or swept along by the, by the world. Uh, but, you know, when that transformational change happens within, within us and we abide in his word, we're not, going to be, we're not going to be moved. We're not going to be those people of Psalm 1. We're going to be the people, well, we will be the people of Psalm 1, the first half, not the second half. We're not going to be blowing around like skeleton weed. We're going to be trees that are planted by the rivers of water, and those roots go down and deep, and they feed off, uh, you know, the water uh, and the, the leaves blossom on the trees. And anything they, you know, anything that happens, whether the wind blows or there's a storm, the trees are not blowing down, are they? And if you think about those trees and all the elemental forces, uh, when you when you plant something, you've got all these elemental forces which are, you know, smashing it all the time. My wife is a succulent fanatic, and um, constantly complains to me about the hail because if there's ever a hailstorm, they leave little dots all over her plants. And uh, she gets quite upset about that. But the the whole idea is being planted there and those roots feeding off that living water, which is Christ, feeding off his word, won't be moved when the storms of life come. So abiding in him, abiding in the living water of Christ um, is very important and abiding in his word and being guided by it is, is incredibly important too. Um, I didn't want to do a, a long message today. Um, I wanted to keep it uh, short and sweet. Uh, next time I'm up, I'm going to uh, be introducing um, the next part of Scripture where John is talking about the world. And he's talking about... Uh, the three things he's talking about the spirit of Antichrist, the Antichrists, and the Antichrist. They're all three different things. They all uh, have the same master or the same influence, but are all three very, very different things. But just to give you a taste, uh, what is the uh, spirit of Antichrist? Uh, If you think about all those people, those jubilant people who are jumping up and down and celebrating the fact that Ireland now can kill babies. Is is that not the spirit of Antichrist? Um, Me and Daniel were sharing with each other on Facebook last night and uh, there was an image he sent me and it just broke my heart. Um, of a, a child that had been aborted. And here in Australia, even, uh, you know, in Queensland, I don't know if these laws have actually passed, but they, I know they're definitely pushing for it and that is a child to be aborted up to the point of birth. It's, it's vile, isn't it? It's, it's vile. Why, why is there this uh, irrational hatred of Israel? This irrational hatred of Christianity, where does it come from? Where does it come from? It's this spirit of Antichrist that moves across the world. You now, one thing that's always perplexed me, it's always perplexes me. You know, you get these crazers. Uh, what are those spinny, they have those spinny toys. Yeah, come out recently. Or the, 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 the stuff they have at Coles, I think it is, the micro you know, the little micro uh, bread and milk and, and all this, and then you just saw hordes and hordes of people all turning up, we've all got to have it, we've all got to have it. And they're all like sheep, like drones, and they're all coming in, they're all lining up. You know, you might even see a few punch-ups. Just the, the world, the blind leading the blind, the, the, the world chasing after these, these useless things, and then I've got to put up with it on Albany Buy and Sell because every five seconds people are trading them, you see trying to look for stuff, and I think, I don't want a little miniature loaf of bread. I don't want a mini milk. I want some tires for my car. So I've got to get through all this other stuff. But isn't it perplexing? Do you see how the mob just moves? You know? Like, you can just create a slogan. I'm just going to create a slogan. Love is love. And the mob just moves. And anyone that's not caught up in the mob becomes an enemy of the mob. And, you know, it's, and it gets pretty vicious. It really perplexes me just how easily people are let along. Imagine in the last days when the Antichrist is here, I was saying to somebody, it's really, he's really not going to have that much of a hard job, you know that. If, you know, if, if, if every single parent in Albany needs to be down at Coles to buy a mini plastic loaf of bread, how hard's it going to be for the Antichrist? But... Uh, Thank the Lord, he's given us his gospel and he's given us his son and he's given us that guiding light. And John is preparing the people for this. It it sounds like a bit of a hard word at the beginning in the first few chapters, but I likened it to a parent who is trying to prepare a child for the world. And sometimes there's a bit of tough love involved in that. A bit of tough love doesn't go astray. I mean, in this world, you can say, "I believe I'm a cat." There's a girl in Germany who believes she's a cat. I'm not joking. She wears a little ears. She's got a little tail, and she likes to drink milk out of a bowl. And um, and that's you know, it's offensive uh, if you tell her that she's not a cat. You know, you're full of hate speech. Um, and all, you know, truth has just been blurred. That's why John has been systematically bringing us back to these troops. He's been preparing us, he's been shodding our feet, and he's, he's getting the people ready, because we're talking about the man who wrote the book of Revelation. He knows what's coming. And I can tell you now, it's started. There are signs, but next week I'm going to talk about where we should be looking. Where we should be looking. We, it's good for us to know all these things, but we should have our eyes, fixed, uh, you know, just fixed on one place. And uh, and I'll uh, and I'll cover that next time I'm up in about a month or six weeks or eight weeks time, I'm not sure. But I just wanted to read this to you as an introduction. And uh, I was sitting down on the Tuesday, and Pastor Chris brought me to these passages. And um, I just want to finish with these passages. And you, He made alive who were dead in trespass and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, what I've been describing, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ, and by grace you've been saved, and raised raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Jesus Christ that in ages to come he might show us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not not of yourselves it's been a gift from God, not by works, lest any man should boast, for for we are all his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared us beforehand, that we should walk in them. Isn't that a wonderful scripture? Definitely hang that one up on your wall. Um, let's, let's just... Uh, pray. I, I, I wanted to read that scripture at the end, and it's. I think it's very, very fitting that uh, we're going into uh, a communion service now. We're just going to have some communion here at the end. Uh, And I just want you to remember those words that uh, John spoke here in the letter, and that is, children of God, your sins are forgiven you. Uh, When we look at uh, the book of Isaiah chapter one, he's washed, if you're willing to come to him, you are washed white as snow. It's an amazing reality. I know who I am. I know I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it at all. But because of his namesake, I've been washed clean. The slate has been completely, completely clean. Wherever you're at this morning, whatever's happened on the way here, whatever's happened this week, you can come before your king. Now we can come before him in a time of reflection as we receive up the emblems. And those emblems are to remind us of the power of his blood the depths of the depth of his grace. What God was willing to give for us, it's the ultimate act of love. I think last week we were talking about there is no greater love than to lay your life down for your brother. And, and uh, I'm, I'm glad God didn't do it any other way. People say, why the cross? Why the cross? Why did God choose the cross? Of all things, I mean, he could have come down from heaven, couldn't he? He could have said, here I am, I'm God, do what you're told, that's the end of the story. He could have done that, couldn't he? So why the cross? Because it's through that act of sacrificial love that he could lay himself down. He could show you the depth of his love that you might choose him, that you might want to be that child of God. Aren't you glad he did it that way? Because it's all about the love. Later in uh, the book of John, John will say, "God is love," and through the cross, we're given the ultimate act. Uh, I'm just going to pray, and uh, while I'm praying, um, uh, just feel free to take the emblems. Pastor Chris, did you want to come up, or Father in heaven, Father, what can we say? Lord, we know uh, in and of ourselves, Father, there are only filthy rags. There's no good in us apart from You, Father. But Lord, you saw it fitting uh, to lower yourself. Father, to to come to this earth. Father, from, uh, from the glorious place on high to come to earth and to give you a life just to show us the depth of that love father we know it's only because of you and you alone father that we can stand here redeemed that we can say i'm a child of god that the condemners accusations bear no weight at all upon my soul because i'm forgiven it's all because of you father lord we thank you father may our hearts be full of joy father may the fire of your holy spirit burn within us father god Father, an admiration for you, Father, and everything you've done. As we go about this week, Lord, may we remember, Father, everything you've done in us, Father. May that love motivate us to pray for those who hate us, Father. To love those who don't deserve it, Father. To to forgive anyone that we haven't forgiven, if there be any anything within our hearts, Father. Today, Lord. Help us to hand it to you, Father God. Father, we thank you, Jesus. Mighty and precious Lord, in your holy name we pray. Amen.
0: Status is nothing. The king of all things is said, watching my